Orphan Black, the next chapter, is back for season two, and it's bigger than ever. The official continuation of the hit TV show stars Emmy Award-winning actress Tatiana Maslany as all of the clones. And this season, she's joined by original TV show cast members Jordan Gavaris as Felix, Evelyn Brochu as Delphine, and Christian Brune as Donnie. Season two picks up where season one left off with, spoiler alert, the secret of the clones finally exposed to the general public. Hundreds of previously unaware clones grapple with the news that they are part of a massive military science experiment. Meanwhile, anti-clone protesters fight to have the clones' rights restricted. Caught in the middle, the Sestras want peace, and when an unforeseen threat turns their world upside down, they must join forces with former enemies to protect the ones they love. Orphan Black, the next chapter, is available right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to listen and subscribe, or visit realm.fm for more information. The following panel is brought to you by the Sundance TV headquarters at the 2018 Sundance Film Festival. Enjoy. Thank you so much for coming to the Sundance TV headquarters. I am Jan Diedrichsen. I am the general manager of Sundance TV and Sundance Now. Uh, Yes, please, all the applause for me. Um, We're really excited today to, uh, to present to you a, a panel that, uh, that deals with a very important topic. It is the power of arts and education. So I wanna talk for you, with you briefly about what inspired this panel. Um, if you have seen around the headquarters, the Life Water bottles, which I have right here. Um, Life Water has this incredible initiative called the Series 4 Initiative that, uh, that highlights the power of arts and education. And they have commissioned three artists to create artwork for life water bottles, and it's really cool. And actually, one of, the, one of the artists is here today, so we'll talk about that. And we'll talk, in general, about the power of arts and education, which is something that's very near and dear to the Sundance TV family, and of course, to the Sundance Film Festival. So here to introduce the panel, we have the, uh, the deputy editor and chief film critic of IndieWire, Eric Cohn. Thank you, thank you. So, hi everyone. Um, it's great to see you on this day. Uh, as our government takes a breather, we have a lot to talk about in this country, and uh, that's part of what this panel is about. We're here to provide a contrast to a national problem. Uh, you hear a lot of statistics these days, but one of the more jarring ones relevant to our conversation is that 80% of U.S. school districts in the past decade have eliminated their arts education programs. And uh, when you go to a place like Sundance, you see uh, why we need arts education in this country, and the range of panelists today uh, provide a contrast to what's going on uh, on the educational front uh, through their different kinds of stories. So I'd like to bring them up, and uh, let, let's just have them come out here. We have Lenny James, uh, Anthony Ramos, Vivian Bang, Christina Costantini, and Darren Foster, co-directors and the artist responsible for that beautiful uh, visual on your water bottle is uh, Krivi. Welcome. So uh, what we're going to talk about is a range of issues, but really what it comes down to is that everybody has different stories about how they 
got into what they do, and um, specifically being creative people, you, you can speak to the, uh, the way in which our arts education was sort of formative in terms of, of how you're operating today. So Anthony, maybe you could start us off. You're, you're here with this movie, Monsters and Men, really powerful film, very timely film. Uh, you also were in this little Broadway show people may have heard of called Hamilton. So uh, <laughs> very impressive resume in a lot of different kinds of ways. Um, tell us a little bit about how the range of uh, opportunities you've tackled as an actor were sort of formed by uh, the education that brought you to that point? I mean, I, I had a teacher. Um, I mean, if it wasn't for this teacher that I had, um, there were few that really um, that mentored me. But, um, but there was one in particular that she was an English teacher and she was the head of the theater guild uh, that is no longer in my high school. And, um, and she, I auditioned. I heard an announcement over the loudspeaker come audition for this thing called Sing. I didn't know what it was, but it sounded like a talent show, so I was like, let me go audition for this thing called Sing and go sing. And um, uh, it ended up being a musical. It was a competition between each grade. Uh, and they were supposed to write 45-minute musicals and compete. We didn't have enough students, so uh, they just combined the grades and made one show written by the students. And they offered me a lead role. And I was like, nah, I don't do that. <laughs> like, I don't do homework, so I'm not going to memorize these lines. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, um, but this teacher kept pushing me. And eventually I said yes. And, um, and I had never found anything that I loved just as much or more than baseball until that moment because of this teacher. And, uh, and then she would in turn, long story short, she would in turn take my dream on her back and she paid for my, uh, well, she paid for the one application that I put in for the one college that I auditioned for. She helped me with the material because I had never done an audition. She gave my name to a scholarship foundation that she told them my story, a little bit about how I grew up. And uh, I went and met with them because of her. And, um, and they paid my way through school, a school that I could not afford for anything. And it was all the strength of this teacher, yeah. And uh, that's kind of how I got into it. And then uh, I just went to this school and, uh, you know, and I was like, all right, let's go. <laughs> I hope you recommended that teacher to some more people. Yeah, Sarah Steinwey, she's amazing. So, uh, so Krivi, uh, you've done this incredible design on, on the water bottles, which is also uh, something that, as I understand it, through a partnership with Scholastic, is finding its way into classrooms. Tell us a little bit about your own impulses as an artist based in Toronto and, and sort of how uh, education has sort of been threaded into your path. Um, oh, yeah, this is on. Um, so for me, basically, um, so I didn't go to school a lot as a kid. And uh, when I did go to school, I would usually just attend art. Um, and so it wasn't until I was 15, 16-ish um, where I completely dropped out. Um, and I was doing sort of like a treatment program at the time. And um, I'd gotten involved with an initiative called Q. And so it's based in Toronto. It's a grassroots, grassroots my bad, uh, initiative dedicated to providing high access micro grants to artists who live and work on the margins. Um, so whatever that may mean to you. Um, and so basically, uh, through 
through that, I kind of uh, wrote a grant, got the grant, did a group exhibition, um, and then I ended up back in school uh, attending uh, Central Tech's art program. And so I eventually ended up dropping out again, but um, it was through that that I got involved with Sketch um, and their community artist program, and um, basically learned that you know, could teach arts through a way that was more suited to me and the communities that I was a part of. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of a little bit about my educational background regarding arts. And, and when did you sort of land on the kind of creativity you wanted to pursue? Was that through the classroom or? Um, so, I mean, I've always kind of done my own thing, to be honest. Um, and so really, for me, the value of having arts in the classroom was ha that I had my own space to create. And regardless of whether or not I was really listening to the lessons, I was still able to create, which is something that I couldn't do a lot at home or I couldn't do a lot in these other instances where just so much else was going on that it completely overtook took my life as a, as a kid and teen. So. So speaking of education at, at a young age, we have Christina and Darren here with this really amazing documentary, Science Fair, that if you ever did one of those as a kid, it's a total nostalgia trip, but it's also, there, there's something much more meaningful about it in, in the, the context that you bring. So tell us about, about discovering this subject matter and, and what drew you to seeing something more to the Science Fair than you know just pure nostalgia trip. Sure. So um, I was a Science Fair nerd myself. Um, back in the day in high school. Um, for two years, I did the International Science and Engineering Fair, which is basically like the Olympics of the science fair. It's a really big deal. It's uh, like 2,000 kids from 78 countries competing for best in fair. And um, for me at the time, it was a lifeboat. It was the, the thing that kept me interested in school, the thing that validated my interests. Um, and you know, for a lot of the kids in our documentary, it is the one thing that they really care about. And you know, one of our kids, for example, Robbie from West Virginia, he, uh, he's failing out of math. Uh, he's not doing well. But on the side, he's working on a number theory project that wins his entire state science fair and uh, qualifies him for ISEF. Um, and then he goes on to write a machine learning algorithm that he teaches how to rap like Kanye West. And so for much like the arts, I think science fair and is um, for many of our kids the one thing that keeps them involved and, and um, I think Darren and I both believe that anything that can capture a kid's imagination, anything, especially those brilliant kids who sometimes don't fall into the traditional academic framework, that those are programs that need to be supported more and need more funding. And um, just like the arts are under attack uh, and funding is being cut, so science fair funding is being cut. Uh, and you know, Oklahoma just cut their state science fair funding. So uh, we're finding uh, these things in a similar situation. And I think there's even more direct connection between science fair and the arts. A lot of the kids who actually perform really well at science fair um, have art, uh, art backgrounds. Uh, Jack Andraka was a theater kid. He won the 2012 um, uh, International Science Fair as a freshman, first freshman to do it. Uh, he opens our film in a very spectacular way because his reaction to um, winning the science fair is just so over the top and incredible. Uh, but you know, his background as a theater kid, and he attributes that to his ability to communicate 
communicate his ideas so well and to you know basically you know being just able to captivate the judges in the way that he presents his science and so this sort of left brain right brain idea is sort of uh, I think a bit outdated you know these things reinforce each other uh, I think in, in science fair when, when you see it in, in our film you'll see this very much so speaking of science and technology brings us to Vivian Bang, the film that you, you have here, which actually does deal with technology, White Tiger, and you, you, you wrote it, you star in it. Uh, tell us a little bit about kind of coming around to taking on that role and um, what, what sort of education. Can I stop like, you there, Eric? Yeah. <laughs> I think there's been a little bit of a confusion, and I'm so embarrassed, but my film at Sundance is actually White Rabbit. White Rabbit, excuse me. <laughs> I had the animal, right. Um, Thank you for it's called White Rabbit, and it's actually about a performance artist in LA trying to, you know, survive in this current culture. Um, I have the pin now, so I won't. Yeah, no problem. I was like, oh no, am I? Maybe I wasn't invited. I wasn't supposed to be here. Or, don't kick me out. <laughs> um, uh, sorry. So what? Well, tell, tell us a little bit about because it. So what is the question? We like. Well, well, tell us oh, a little yeah. bit about so, kind of coming um, around. So I co-created the movie and co-produced it and star in the film. Um, it's called White Rabbit, and um, it came about because um, I I think with everything that's happening, you know, in the country, I just I needed to. Um, I think we all. After the, you know, I think we were all called to serve, and so I joined all these activist groups, and it was like so frustrating dealing with people and just to communicate like one simple idea amongst like this group mentality, you know. But art has a way of transcending like language and words and and you know, um, PC you know jargons and and politics even. Art has a way of really connecting us, and so. You know, I was like mailing all these and making calls, you know, five calls a day. I was like, ah, I'm not making as much, you know, impact. And I'm, I'm an artist, you know, I, I can use my voice. Not right now, because I, you know, I had the flu, but <laughs> usually, you know. So uh, I kind of reached down to like what I had access to, and I was thinking about Korean American identity um, in the 90s in LA in 1992. And that's kind of where a lot of Korean American identity was formed, because it's, um, you know, um, during the LA riots, um, a, like over 2,000 Korean businesses were destroyed, and we were kind of like a racial target and scapegoated. And that was part of like history that was marginalized. Um, and never told, you know? A lot of my LA friends were like, I, I mean, I, I sort of knew that. I didn't know the Koreans were like that, you know, targeted. Like, so it was like new new history. And, and so I wanted to decolonize history and to be able to, um, you know, shed new perspective on it. And, but I didn't want to like sit here and be preachy because you know, I can be preachy all day and I think like you guys would be really sick of me because I'm naturally I'm a very preachy person, but that doesn't really get, you know, it doesn't really like translate from you, from me to you. But art does. Like art has a way of like skipping that. And so I did this performance piece called Can You Hear Me? And it, you know, it's this white shaman and she's going into this other world. But somehow that was able to really like get the message heard in a new way. And so, like, you know, in this political kind of divisive times, I think art has a very strong point to um, just get the conversation going so that there is dialogue of things that are really hard to talk about, like racial tensions, like economic civil discourse. So Lenny and James, you are here just hanging out. 
but <laughs> you, you are also an accomplished actor, very well known from The Walking Dead, of course, but you have many other credits to your name. Uh, and unless the internet is lying to me, I think you started out wanting to be a rugby player. I did, so, yeah. So how did you go from that to acting in, in the arts? Um, her name was Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> Always. And um, she wanted to be an actress and I wanted to be close to Lisa. <laughs> and she was going to go and do this thing called auditioning for a play which was going to take her away if she got into the play um, for the whole of our school summer holiday. I was 16. And um, so I followed her into the audition. And the director said to me, uh, you can't be in here unless you're auditioning. And I said, what is auditioning? And he said, he gave me a piece of paper and said, learn that speech and sing a song. So I learnt the speech, and I did the speech, and I sang a song, and he offered me a role, and didn't offer a role to Lisa. <laughs> the thing that is, relationship. I was 16, so that's mitigated circumstances. So I stayed and did it, and that's literally how it started. I started hanging around with people who wanted to be actors, and, um, and I eventually, uh, I went to an all-boys school in South London, 3,000 boys, and um, I'm first generation born in England. My family emigrated from the West Indies um, post-war and um, in the Windrush. And for my generation, uh, the first generation in England, we were sent off to school and told two things, which was that education is your your passport to getting out of the situation that you were in and that you had to be twice as good to get half as far. And that's what um, my generation um, went to school with. So art, um, as such, as far as my parents' generation were concerned, wasn't a consideration. You could draw, you could do that, but to take it seriously, to, um, to uh, use it, to, um, to live the life of an artist, when I was growing up, wasn't an option. Um, and hence, you know, even saying to my family I wanted to play rugby to the highest level that I could get to was, uh, was, took a big conversation. Um, being brave enough to eventually say to them, actually, I'm going to go to drama school because I want to be an actor, that reverberations went all the way back to Trinidad. I think people were getting on the plane, <laughs> coming over and just to see what was wrong with this boy. So, and, and I think that's one of the things that art in education is important, not just about... Um, uh, giving kids the, um, the opportunity to live the life of an artist, but one of the things that art does is it encourages you to form an opinion. It encourages you to voice your version of the world, however you do it, whether it's singing, whether it's dancing, whether it's art, whether it's visual art, or all, all of those kind of things. And to take that out of an education system, particularly for kids from deprived neighbourhoods, because the very nature of coming from deprived neighbourhoods is you don't know you haven't got it. That's one of the things that I grew up with. I didn't know I didn't get it. When I went to drama school and I saw all the things that my peers who were there knew, I, I was staggered by how much I didn't know. But it was only when it was presented to me that I realised what I didn't have. Those 80% of uh, school districts that have taken away art from their um, curriculums, the, what they are depriving those generations of students from, the students themselves may never know. All of those options are gone 
for them. And um, I, don't, I, I find that criminal. And there are facts to, be, to back this up. There was a recent NEA study that said that students who uh, studied the arts in high school were three times more likely to get AIDS in college. I mean, this isn't something that's just conjecture by people who are messing around. It's the, the facts are there, which raises this question of you know, what draws you to take on certain kinds of projects that might not be the easiest subject matters, but are also in some ways informed by your own investment in what they can do. Now, Anthony, obviously, Hamilton had this massive cultural impact. It's also been seen as very valuable on the educational front. I'm sort of curious about how that uh, experience informed the sorts of projects that you've been pursuing since uh, leaving the show. Um, I just, like, after doing that show, I really, I really, um, I was just, I just had this crazy experience where I was a part of this thing where I was singing about revolution and rapping about revolution every night, eight times a week. And I was like, yo, but what is the revolution in my life, personally? Like, what am I doing? Am I just singing about it? Like, and, um, and it was like, through that thought process where I was like, yo, I gotta write a record. So I wrote my first record that came out today, actually, my EP, Freedom EP, you know, and, and we wrote it, I mean, thank y'all, but we wrote it, like all that to say we wrote it a day, the day after the election. We started writing the title track, Freedom. And it was just like, I'm listening to these songs every day. And, um, you know, and I was like, yo, I gotta start writing about what is actually happening around me, you know? I think fantasy and, I mean, all that is good and we need that, of course, you know? But I think there should be a combination, I think, I think we need to be saying things. That's just like, to be completely honest and like blunt. Like we need to say something. Like if you make art, say something. Because people need something. People are coming to see your thing or they're, they're listening to your record because they need something, whether they know that or not. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know, as far as Monsters and Men is concerned, like, um, you know, I was, I was blessed with this blockbuster film and I was going to turn down the blockbuster film to do this indie for like no money. <laughs> because this indie um, spoke close, like th this indie hit home for me, you know? It's about police brutality in New York, in the Hispanic and black communities, African-American, Jamaican, you know, West Indie, and Puerto Rican, Dominican, Mexican neighborhoods in Brooklyn. And I grew up in the projects in Brooklyn. And I have been ha handcuffed. And I have had my hands up against the wall. And, and I was, and as soon as I read the script, I was like, I can't let anything stand in the way of me doing this. So if I gotta figure out how to pay my rent to do this and to give this message, then I'm gonna do that. So I think, I don't even know if I answered your question, but. <laughs> in a couple of different ways. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think like, yo, if we're gonna make art, I think we gotta make art, like we gotta say something. Well, yeah, and, and figure out what that message is. So right. Privy, in your case, what is it that you want your art to, to say about the world or to inform people, especially since, you know, at this point it is being placed in front of, of young students and sort of forming their own ideas about art? Um, I think that, just if we're talking about the art that's on the bottle, I think that diversity and I think that a collection of lived experience is probably what I would want people to see. Like I think that there's a certain narrative that we see over and over and over and over again in popular media that 
um, we need to step away from. And I think that even with myself and be, being representing Life Water, I think I, um, based on my own sociocultural and economic identity, um, and and you know, if I had to name those, you know, I think I represent a few different communities that really don't get to have this public voice. And so I think that um, that's something that's super important. And I know that with the work that I'm creating now, um, and hopefully to uh, be out sometime soon, um, I think it's, it's mainly about just bringing awareness to, you know, art is created a lot of times through pain. It's created a lot of times through um, disadvantaged circumstances, and you know I think that um, with what you were saying, you know it's it's our own experiences that inform what we want to share with the world. And I know for myself, there are so many things that have happened to me and to have happened to my communities and my family and my loved ones that I think really need to be talked about. Darren, Christina, when you were shooting Science Fair, what sort of new observations did you get into this problem? You spoke about it a little bit before in terms of the way in which Science Fairs play such a role in different students' development, but just in terms of getting them to actually care about the world or see the world in new ways. You know, how did you observe that while hanging out around them and sort of capturing their lives? Yeah, I mean, I think Christina's experience very much informed uh, the sort of vision we had for the film, you know, and it started with her literally just telling me stories of her own science fair experience, and her science fair experience wasn't just about doing... Um, <laughs> I'm very nerdy. <laughs> it wasn't just about... Um, you know, doing science. It was all these other things that were happening around her life at that time. And so, you know, we were really eager to capture those moments for these kids as well. And so, you know, doing a film about science can be maybe a little bit boring, but if you capture the teenage drama around that and you make a narrative about it, um, it becomes compelling and interesting in a way. And then you could sort of attach ideas to that that, uh, you know, really cropped up in our film that we weren't anticipating, but, you know, immigration, themes of immigration, you know, Lenny, what Lenny was talking about earlier resonates with us because, you know, very much Dr. McCullough is here. Uh, and, uh, you Dr. Know. McCullough is the, <laughs> the best science fair teacher in the whole world. <laughs> Most winning science fair teacher. But you know her story and the story of her, the children that you know she mentors is all about you know being a first-generation immigrant, uh, and you know that is the story of science in America. It's continually you know replenished by immigration. Uh, so you know doing this documentary during this uh, this period was um, very interesting for us because you know here we are with a cast of kids, many of whom are immigrants or children of immigrants, and there's a very anti-immigrant sentiment in the country. Um, so those are the, all the things that we were sort of thinking about as we were putting the story together um, and trying to communicate those kind of ideas, too. Coming back to the actor side of things, one of the things that comes up a lot, and uh, Anthony, you alluded to this, is you get offered all kinds of different roles. And when that role comes up, and, it, and it, you know, maybe there's something attractive about it, you do have this opportunity to say, you know, yes, this is something I want to do, or no, this isn't for whatever reason. So given what we, we're talking about in this context, what do you bring to the table when you're thinking about these issues of you know, pursuing things that have meaning to you? I mean, in this case, you've, you've written something for yourself, so that's one way. But just in the larger context of you know, what's, what's out there and what's available, how do you assess those sorts of things? Um, 
Um, I think I'm always attracted to something that's real and true. Um, so, you know, a as an actress in Hollywood, I don't actually, I can't really afford to turn down roles or, you know, I, I, I'm trying to make a living, you know. So I get a lot of, um, I guess the roles that I'm offered, I, it's not like I, I mean, I guess I do have a choice, but the, there was a need for me to create White Rabbit because um, it was a story that was not being told. And I just decided that like, I had to tell it. You know, um, I think we all have to participate. And I guess for acting, um, actually, can I just go back to the whole school thing? Because I just wanted to interject that high school, I would have died. I would have died if I didn't have my impact art teachers sort of introduce me to the whole acting. I didn't even know what acting was or that was accessible to me and super shy. I was an immigrant kid like living in the south and you know with my immigrant parents I didn't have accessibility to the arts. I didn't even know anything about it until I was so miserable that I think one of the teachers, you know, was worried about me, so she entered me into this arts impact um, program where Dr. Dubner was this 80-year-old woman who's so passionate about the theater. She would like take us on field trips to see Shakespeare productions, you know, in Atlanta. And that's when I discovered, like, oh, I'm not crazy. You know, there is this other world outside of this. You know, studying for the SATs and making sure, you know, I, I you know, achieve this, these points. And so. And then <laughs> Miss pa Pam Barnett, I was so shy, I barely spoke, you know? And also, like, I don't know, I was like the other, or I just felt very like the outsider. And Dr. Pa um, I mean, Mrs. Pam Bar um, Barnett, she took me aside, and for no reason, I, I have no idea, she just took this interest in me and started giving me these um, monologues to do and to perform. And even though I was so shy, like, she gave me these tools to. Um, you know, connect and have these goals to kind of get this communication across to another person. And, and through that, I learned about that communication is not like, oh, worrying about like how I'm being perceived. It's about like getting an idea across to another human being. And acting taught me that, you know? And it saved my life, or else I would, I would have died. Um, I was so lonely, you know? So I think acting for me, what really interests me these days are ways that we can connect, you know? I think right now, us humans, we're not that different, you know, even though, I mean, sorry to quote this like cheesy thing, but I think I read that like 99.9% of our DNAs are similar and it's only that 0.1% is different. So that's what makes me different than Lenny, you know? Um, so it's, for me, like acting is always about, and, and the, we learned this in acting school too, when, when, when you're thinking about yourself or you're worried about how you're being presented off, like that's when you start doing these tricks. And that's when, you know, someone's like, uh, she's acting, you know? But when you are trying, to, when your goals are to communicate or to get an objective or an action from another person, when you are all focused in, you know, connecting, I feel like that's where the art comes and that's where truth and, you know, truth comes. So, yeah, uh, White Rabbit for me was um, a way to really connect to myself and then also to be able to connect to a, another person by authentically using my voice. 
So Lenny, how, how did these observations resonate for you as, as an actor who also active in other kinds of ways? Sorry. How, how, did, how did these ideas as an actor resonate for you in the kinds of projects you're offered, the things that you're drawn to? Um, there was a period in my career where I said no more than I said yes. But um, again, as Vivian was saying, you can only navigate your options. So, um, you know, there was, uh, I've been lucky, very lucky. There are very few jobs I felt like I don't want to do this job, but I've got to say yes because I've got to pay the bills. So um, I've had options and I have, like um, uh, Anthony was just saying, I have been in a situation where I've been offered a very big job and I've been offered comparatively um, uh, a job that doesn't necessarily have um, the financial rewards of a smaller job, but the smaller job spoke to me more and was more important, and I've um, made the decision kind of both ways, really. Um, I think one of the things that um, shaped my career, because it shapes my life, really, is um, being a black man. So the choices that I um, made for my career, um, I when I came out of drama school, I was very... Uh, and I started working, I was very aware of, I started working a lot in theatre, um, and you have a direct connection to the audience and you meet them, and one of the things that would come over over, over and over again, even in my family, um, and I suddenly started hearing it when I you know, was, was taking, doing my job professionally, was two things. One was um, people would say about parts that you're being offered or parts that you're playing, what is that saying about us? Um, was one of the things that you would say, and the other thing was that um, people w it was that you, you're out there, you you have a responsibility to represent, and um, those were things that I had to take on board, whether I um, uh, wanted to or not. It just so happens that I um, wanted to because I was one of the people saying exactly that when I was watching, you know, things on uh, television and seeing people who looked like me and the and the roles that they were being offered and the roles that they were doing. And I would say, what is that saying about us? What is, how is that representing us? And that's, uh, and so very early on, my art um, took on a political uh, dimension um, that I had to navigate, that I had to take responsibility for, that I had to um, uh, uh, step up and be um, uh, part of. And art does that. And again, it was my version of how I dealt with that, how I expressed it. And as, particularly as an actor, in the end, um, an, actor, an actor's power pretty much comes down to yes or no. Um, if you say yes, do the job to the best of your ability. If you've said no, put it away, leave it, it's not yours. And that's how you build a career, um, if you're lucky enough. And, um, and, for, and for me, like I said, at one point in my career, I said no um, more than I said yes. And mostly when I said no is because that's not uh, um, the person I wanted to play because I didn't want to be saying that. And that's not how I wanted to represent. So it's a, a, a wonderfully rousing note for us to end on. Thank you all for being here. Um, and please see these movies, Monsters and Men, Science Fair, White Rabbits. <laughs> and uh, pick up a water bottle with previous designs on it. And thank you again for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Subscribe for more panels from the Sundance TV headquarters at the 2018 Sundance Film Festival.